Um, I hope you'll take your Bibles this morning, God's Holy Word, and open to Philippians chapter 4. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18 as we are drawing near to the end of our study of Philippians. Um, We've called this study To Live is Christ. We've walked through the book together uh, for a number of months, and now we are nearing the end. We only have this week, and then next week, and then we'll move on to um, another study. But what, what, what's happened here as we get to chapter 4, just a recap as we, as we get to the end here of chapter 4, Paul begins chapter 4 by encouraging and challenging the church at Philippi to stand firm in the Lord. And as they stand firm in the Lord, they're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. You remember that famous section, Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And they're to lay aside every anxious thought. Do nothing out of anxiety, but instead trusting the Lord with thanksgiving. And out of that, Paul tells them that they are to experience the daily peace of God. They are to experience the peace of God that comes with His presence. And in so doing, their hearts and minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus. So, That's it. Closely connected to that peace, as we looked at last week, is contentment. They are to have peace and contentment together as they trust Christ to strengthen them in every circumstance. So I want you to notice the theme coming through here, Philippians chapter 4. Peace and contentment. And then because of Christ's abiding peace and presence... They learn contentment knowing that Christ will never leave them or forsake them. Now this morning, I want to add one more link in that chain. So we've talked two weeks ago about peace, the peace of God, and then the contentment of God in every circumstance. And the third link I want to add this morning is one of generosity. One of generosity. That is my title this morning, Peace, Contentment, and Generosity. All three of those are closely connected in Paul's mind because all three are tied to our experience and understanding of the gospel. Now let me try to say what that means. If you read through the New Testament, if you read through the gospels and then you get into Paul's letters and into the rest of the New Testament, it is abundantly clear in the New Testament that the gospel does a work. Not only does the gospel work to save us from our sins and reconcile us to God, but the gospel produces in us things. It produces in us. God gives us a new heart and a new nature, but what the gospel does is it works in the hearts and minds of believers to produce peace. After all, what does the Bible say in Romans 5? Having been justified by faith, That's what the gospel does. It brings us salvation. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So the gospel does that. The gospel should produce also contentment in us, no matter the circumstances. Paul said there in just the previous verses, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The gospel brings the promise of Christ's abiding presence to bring us contentment in all circumstances. Now this morning, we're going to see that the gospel should lead us not only to peace and contentment, but to living lives that are characterized by generosity. 
Though we are called to be generous to all people, hear me, we are called to be generous to all people based on God's gracious generosity towards us in Christ, Paul has in mind a particular generosity in this text toward those who are partnering to take the gospel to the nations, despite all of the dangers and risks. So Christians, if you're in this place today and you call yourself a believer, Christians must be generous to partner with those who are seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. So I'm talking particularly today about a Great Commission generosity. So let's look now, um, let's look now at our text, but I want to give you an illustration before we jump into that. It's the illustration of a well. The gospel mission we've been given is like going into a well. Now, God has called, all, God has called particularly missionaries and those on mission to go into the well. But he's called all of us to participate. And I've heard it said this way, if you're not going into the well, you have to hold the rope for those that do. That's our call as a church. That if we are not going to leave our, our homes, if we've not been called to leave our homes and families to go be missionaries there, we're called to be missionaries here for sure, but we're also called to hold the rope for those that go. And if you hold the rope, anybody's ever held the rope and held weight of those going into the well, if you hold the rope, you know, what's gonna sh- you, know what, you know how other people will know you hold the rope? It'll show up on your hands. It'll show up on your knees. Because you will have the burns on your hands from bearing the burden of those that are going. And you will have the scars on your knees as you pray for those that go. And that's what Paul has in mind here. That the Philippian church is holding the rope for him as he suffers in prison for the sake of the gospel. So, let's read Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 14. Listen to what Paul says here. What a heart of gratitude based on their generosity He says, yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to give us four basic principles uh, this morning as we look at the text, just four principles we can learn about generosity. Number one, generosity, this kind of gospel generosity, it first allows us to share in the troubles of others. Generosity allows us to share in the, in the troubles of others. Look at verse 14. Paul says that it was kind of you to share in my troubles. The word there for kind is also translated sometimes right. It was right for you to share in my troubles. Your translation might say good. It was good for you to share in my troubles. Now the word share here is the word for fellowship. It's the word for fellowship, koinonia, the word for partnership. And what Paul does here is he adds a little prefix to this word. He adds the prefix sin, which means with. So Paul uses it in a new way here. He's used the word fellowship and partnership throughout the gospel. But here he says that there's a special partnership with the Philippian church that they have shared with Paul in his troubles. 
They've joined him in it. Paul says not only did they share his troubles, but they entered into those troubles with Paul. Here's the difference. Listen, it's the difference between just giving a stranger $5 to leave you alone. We've all been there. We've been at the gas station. Somebody comes up to us and says, hey, I just need some gas to get home. And you go, that's fine. Here, there's $5 to leave me alone. That's, that's sharing in somebody's trouble in some sense, right? But that's not what Paul's talking about here. It's the difference between doing that and then being emotionally, and then being emotionally involved, giving your heart to it. For example, watching a family member you love walk through cancer. You feel it with them. You enter into it. You hurt with them and join with them and struggle with them. And you don't care what it costs. You're not saying, well, it's $5. You're going, I don't care what it costs my heart or what it costs me emotionally or financially or physically. Because I love you, I'm going to enter into this with you. That is the partnership. That is, that is what Paul is getting at here. All right? That, that's the sharing in Paul's troubles that the Philippian church joined. It wasn't simply Paul's troubles. It was our troubles. If you were to ask the Philippian church about their relationship with Paul, they'd go, we hurt with him. We join with him. So the question here is, you know, where did that kind of partnership come from? Where did that kind of feeling toward Paul come from? And the answer is only found in the gospel. The gospel produced that heart in the Philippians. They loved Paul. They were concerned for Paul. And they were moved with generosity. And they joined in Paul's troubles. Now we have to remember, this is so important, Paul's particular troubles are the troubles he's experiencing because of the gospel. I mean, think about it. If Paul wasn't sharing the gospel, if Paul never went to Macedonia, then Paul, the church there wouldn't exist. And Paul wouldn't be in jail. So the Philippians feel a need to... to, to they feel the burden to enter into Paul's troubles with him. And I want to say here that generosity is one of the ways that helps us do that. Generosity helps us do that. When you are generous, you literally help bear the burdens of others. You enter into their troubles and you feel their hurts differently only when you give. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about when you give of time and emotion and relationship and your heart. You feel it differently when you do that. When one part, what the Bible says when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt together. And if you give to missions, and especially to missionaries that we know and love, and we have those in our church that are on the field now or waiting to go back to the field, when you, when you are generous towards them, it will cause you to... Pray for them, encourage them, email them, send them cards, visit them, and love them. It is different. Hebrews makes this same point. Listen to what Hebrews says in Hebrews 13. He, the writer of Hebrews says this, Remember those who were in prison. Okay, okay. Remember those who were in prison. Well, Paul's in prison, but listen to what he goes on to say. Remember those who were in prison as though in prison with them. So how are we supposed to remember somebody in those kinds of troubles? Remember the missionaries as though you were on the field with them. Remember those in prison as though you were there with them. And he says, and those who were mistreated since you were also in the body. 
So what you see here is that there's a type of generosity here. There's a type of generosity that Paul is getting at that is kindness in deed and action. It's, it's, it's more than simply words, right? It's the difference between saying you're concerned for someone and actually being moved to give of yourself and of your resources to help them. It's the difference between saying that you will help as a nicety. We'd all say that, by the way. Most of us are Southerners. We know that. We're always like, how are you doing? What's going on? We have a lot of niceties. I'm all for it. I wish our world was a nicer place. But there's a, there's a point where we have to go beyond the nicety to actually being moved to action, right? It's the difference between saying you'll help as a nicety and then actually getting up, cooking a meal, going to sit with someone, sending them aid in the midst of their struggles. The Philippians didn't simply say they loved Paul. They entered into his troubles with him. That's what generosity helps us do. Enter into them second this morning. The generosity of others coming back the other way. So generosity allows us to enter into the struggles of others, but coming back the other way, the generosity of others should be received as God's generosity towards us. This is how Paul receives it. Paul receives it as God being generous to Paul through others. Look there at verses 15 and 16. He says, and you Philippians yourselves know. Paul's telling them to remember this. And you Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, here's the backstory for those of you that haven't been here since the beginning of our study of Philippians. Here's the backstory. Some 20 years earlier, Paul walked into Macedonia and he made his way to Philippi. And there he preached the gospel. It's, this is Acts 16. He preached the gospel out by the river, and there was this woman there from Thyatira, a seller of purple named Lydia. And the Lord opened her heart to hear what Paul was saying. And her and her household were saved after hearing the gospel preached by Paul. But then persecution arose as Paul cast out a demon from a little girl who made some people a lot of money by her fortune telling. They arrested Paul, beat him, and threw him into prison. And then that night, Paul and Silas are worshiping Jesus. And they're singing praises to God. And an earthquake comes, breaks open the bars of the prison. Their chains fall off. And the jailer is alarmed and he rushes in with his torch and he notices that all of the prisoners are still there. He falls on his face and he says, Paul, what must I do to be saved? He said, you all could have ran out and left and in the morning I would, be, I would have been executed for dereliction of duty. And Paul preaches the gospel to him and him and his whole family become Christians. But then what do they do? They run Paul out of town after he had been publicly beaten and jailed illegally as a Roman citizen. And that's the beginning of the gospel at Philippi. And Paul says there, you're the only church that since I walked into town, you've partnered with me in my troubles. Now from there, Acts 17, Paul goes to Thessalonica. And the same story happens there. He's mistreated and persecuted. And though another church is planted, Paul remembers there's only one church that's partnered with me in giving and receiving. Now, you need to know up in Acts, up to this point, there are churches in Antioch. That's Paul's home, Paul's home church. That's the church that sent him out. There's churches in Antioch. There's churches in Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Galatia, and scattered about the countryside in between as he's gone out. But the church in Philippi was the only one that shared in Paul's struggles and partnered with him in supporting his needs. 
what Paul is hinting at is it seems that all the other churches had a one-way relationship with the gospel. A one-way relationship, which means they received only. They received what the gospel gave, right? They, they received the gospel and its blessings, but they had not yet allowed the gospel to produce in them the kind of care and concern that it produced in the Philippians. And here's what Paul knew. Here's what Paul knew that I want you to know. Paul knew that the Philippians' concern was rooted in God's concern for Paul. Paul didn't just see that the Philippians gave. Paul saw that God was working in them for his benefit. That whatever they sent to Paul should have been received as God's gift to Paul. That their generosity was God's generosity. Now think about that with us. Our generosity to others is God's generosity to others. That God blesses others through us. People say, where is God at work? For the Christian, we can say that's plain to see. It's in the lives of Christians who are living generously towards others. That is how others see God at work. That's what Paul is pressing home here. It was God meeting Paul's needs through his people. So God intends to bless others through the blessings that we have received. So here's what that means for us. Generosity is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. Some of us must learn to be content in Christ so that we can generously give toward others and allow God to bless them through us. But I know that on the other side of that, it's hard for others to allow people to be generous to them. There's a lot of pride that goes along with being self-sufficient, isn't it? There's a lot of pride that goes along with, I don't need anything, I don't need anybody's help, I don't want anything from anybody. But have you ever thought that that kind of idea actually robs others from the blessing of being generous to you? That sometimes you have to learn to just go, if somebody wants to be generous to me, I need to say, thank you, Jesus. This is you being generous. This is a blessing to them and a blessing to me. It is okay for me to receive their generosity. So others need to learn that too. Don't rob others. So what we need to see is the generosity of others is God's generosity towards us. We are, we are all channels and conduits to give and receive of God's blessings. Third, I want you to notice what Paul's other point here is in verse 17. That generosity is rewarded. It's rewarded. Look at what he says there in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now notice that right out the gate, Paul, again, he's very careful. Paul says, I'm, I'm not in this for the money. I, I'm not seeking the gift. I, I don't need it. I've learned the secret to be content in every circumstance, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. God will take care of me. But at the same time, Paul says, what I do care about is that you grow spiritually. I care that you, you grow and produce fruit, right? What Paul is looking for is the blessing that is promised to the Philippians for sharing in the burdens of others out of a heart of generosity that can only be explained by the gospel. Paul remembers and rejoices in their generosity. He hadn't forgotten about it, and he says God won't forget about it either. In fact, God will use their generosity for a spiritual harvest among them. Now, Paul saw here, think about this, Paul saw beyond the mere physical transaction of giving and receiving. Like, money was taken up and collected, and then Epaphroditus took it to the prison and said, 
That's a physical transaction, right? We, we grab the money and I just handed it to somebody else. Paul wasn't just looking at the physical transaction of it. Paul was looking beyond that to what was going on spiritually. It was a spiritual transaction taking place before God. Paul saw the generosity he received was the fruit of Christ's work in their lives. And it was visible and it had eternal ramifications. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says again. Hebrews 6, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. God doesn't overlook the fact, church, that you have worked to serve the saints. God sees it. God sees what's going on even if no one else does. Or as, as Jesus promised in Matthew 6, he says, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they will be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that it may be done in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So notice the impetus in Christian generosity. It's not about accolades. It's not about attaboys. It's not about look how good I am. It's about Jesus knows, Jesus sees. I don't care if anybody else does. I'm just doing this in Jesus' name. Or as Luke 12, 23, 12.33 says, he says, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus says, God, God sees. Be free to be open-handed and generous. And what did Jesus most famously say? He said, it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. That's what Jesus said. So there's more of a blessing in giving than in receiving. Our generosity, what this means is our generosity is a window into our hearts about what we believe about the gospel, about its fruits, about its rewards. Generosity produces spiritual change and spiritual fruit in us. It affects our hearts and our lives and how we experience Christ. So, if you are not generous, if you're not living a life of generosity, and I'm not talking about just giving to your church, I'm just talking about a life that's open before others, that I will move to meet the needs of others, I will move to care for others, I will be moved with the condition and plight of others, and I will be open-handed about it, not clingy and sitting on it, trying to keep it for myself. Listen, if you are not generous, you are cutting yourself off from the root of this promise. That's what you're doing. I have never been able to shake a sermon that I heard when I was about 18. Listen, I know I'm not, I'm not oblivious, folks. I have said millions of words to you over the last five years. Millions. You might remember 10. We don't remember every sermon. I get it. But there are certain little things that stand out, right? Just phrase here or there. There was a pastor I heard when I was about 18, and I was battling with this idea of Christian generosity in my own heart and whether I was going to be stingy, greedy, and live for myself or for Jesus. And, and I heard a sermon. I don't remember anything else in the sermon but one phrase. And he said, you get through the hole you give through. And I thought, that's interesting. You get through the hole you give through. His point was that you only receive God's blessing through the size of your own generosity. It's the difference between drinking from a straw and drinking from a fire hydrant. It's the difference between delivering help through a porthole 
or through a cargo door. They're different, right? Now, just to be clear, I'm not here talking about the health and wealth nonsense you hear on TV. God doesn't promise to return our generosity on us by giving us more money. That's not it. I'm not here that if you give me $10 of harvest money, God will give you $20,000 in the future. Nope, the Bible doesn't make that promise. That's not the promise here. The promise is, Paul's point here, is that our generosity returns upon us with spiritual growth and blessing as we seek to have our hearts more conformed to the heart of Jesus. That is the great, that's the greatest reward we can have in this lifetime or eternity. More of Jesus, more peace, more contentment, which will lead to more generosity and open-handedness. So generosity is rewarded. And finally, generosity from the heart pleases God. So let me just recap here one more time, right? So the first thing we talked about was generosity allows us to share in the troubles of others. Generosity also should be received as God's generosity. Generosity is rewarded by our Father in heaven. And lastly, generosity from the heart pleases God. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I have received full payment. Epaphroditus brought the gift. And I am, and more. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Notice the words Paul uses here. Their gifts are a fragrant offering. Right? This reminds us of the incense offered in the temple before the presence of God in the Old Testament. Incense was always to be burning before the presence of God so he could smell it, a sweet-smelling aroma. And Paul says that their generosity functions the same way. God smells the fragrance of this. And then he says what? He says, he says it is acceptable and pleasing to God. Now here's my point. I don't have to preach this very hard, right? What greater joy could you have than to know that the gospel brings peace to our hearts it allows us to find contentment in all circumstances, and it produces in us a generous spirit that pleases God. It pleases God when I am open-handed and generous. It's an act of worship. It brings pleasure to God. The gospel produces in us, here's a glorious truth for you, the gospel produces in us what God desires of us. If God desires for us to be generous, the gospel will produce it in us. God commands generosity from the heart, and that's what pleases him, and so he grants that to us. Augustine famously said, Lord, command what you will, but only grant what you command. And through the gospel, God gives us that kind of heart. Now, as I conclude this morning, before we move into a time of a time of taking the supper together, I want to remind you here that if you're not a believer, you need to know this. The greatest act of generosity the world has ever known, the greatest act of generosity this world has ever known was the giving of Jesus to us by the Father. That is the greatest act of generosity anyone can ever know. After all, what does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son God gave him a gift of generosity that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. 
So God's love led him to give his son as a sacrifice for our sins, for your sins and for mine, so that we would not perish under God's righteous wrath, but instead we would receive the wealth of his grace, his forgiveness, his peace, and be reconciled with him forever. And those who come to Christ in repentance and faith will experience the generosity and grace of God forever. They will never be the same. They will be new creations. Instead of worry, they will have peace. Instead of greed and envy, they will have contentment. And instead of shame, they will have joy and acceptance. That all comes through Jesus. So first of all, if you don't know Christ, you're not going to be generous because you haven't received Christ. You haven't had a heart changed yet. You will only be generous in so much as you think it earns you favor with God. That you think it does something to get God on your side. But God cannot be manipulated. He will not be. God will produce in us what he desires of us. And so you have to come to Christ in repentance and faith. And for those of us that are believers, let me end by saying that you can't have a one-way relationship with the gospel. We're called to live open-handed, generous lives, knowing that everything we have and enjoy, everything you have and enjoy is a gift of God's grace to you to be stewarded and invested in God's kingdom, partnering together to fulfill the Great Commission. May God bless His Word together. I want to pray for us, and then we'll get offline, and then we'll take communion. Father, we ask that you would draw near to us now. Lord, as we draw near to you, Father, I pray first for those that do not know Jesus, that they would come right now in our time of invitation, and they would receive Christ. And Lord, you would transform them, that they would recognize their need of Jesus repent of their sins and come to him in repentance and faith. Father, we ask for others, Lord, if we are being clingy and we are being uh, bitter and being controlled by our things, Father, I pray that you would break that in us by putting in us a heart of generosity. May we honor Jesus by understanding that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So, Father, use us now for your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.